The Old Testament reading for the first Sunday after the Epiphany is from Isaiah chapter 43, 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be there, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading comes from Romans chapter 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. according to St. Luke, the third chapter. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, 
John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, I'm glad to see you all here this morning, this Epiphany Sunday, when we celebrate the baptism of our Lord in the Jordan River. And I say I'm glad to see you here, but I'm a little bit curious on how you got here. In fact, as a mathematician, albeit a poor one, I'm not sure how I made it here this morning. So let me explain what I'm talking about. Let's say that by some miracle you actually did arrive out there in the parking lot this morning and get out of your car. Now I'm not saying that you actually did because mathematically it's impossible, but Let's say that you did, for the sake of argument. And in order to get into church, in order to come and sit in your pew, you had to, Tim knows what I'm going to say, you had to arrive at a halfway point. Right? So let's say that now you've done that. You're on the sidewalk on this side of the street. And uh, you still want to get to your pew. And so you have to get to another halfway point, don't you? So let's say that's just inside those entry doors. Now you're in the entryway, and you're, you're, now you can see your pew, and you realize you still have to get to a halfway point, and all of a sudden, your knees get weak, and you think, I'm not going to make it. I can't get there, because I realize that there will always be a halfway point between me and my pew. So you come halfway, and now you've got another, let's say, 10 feet to go. And then you've got 5 feet to go. Then you've got 2.5 feet to go. Then you've got 1.25 feet to go. Then it's 0 .265, not 0 .625, sorry. And there's always going to be, mathematically, a halfway point. How many halfway points are there between you and your pew? There are an infinite number of halfway points and you suddenly realize that even though you got here early and parked out there you're going to be late for church because you can't get to your pew you can't get to your destination Zeno of Aaliyah was a mathematician and philosopher who, who lived in the 5th century BC who was thinking about this 
he called it a paradox. He said you can have constant motion, constant motion forward, and never arrive at your destination. Constant motion and never arrive at your destination. Because there are an infinite number of distances that need to be crossed, if you will, an infinite number of steps. One can seem to be making progress and never get there. And have you ever felt that way? <laughs> have you ever felt like you will never get to where you want to be as a person, as a destination, whatever it is? What about heaven and eternity? Have you ever felt that you will never get there? In our gospel lesson this morning, the crowds are described as a people who are in expectation, a people waiting for something to happen. There has not been a prophet now in Israel at this time for 400 years, 400 years up until John the Baptist. And these expectant Israelites would have understood Zeno's paradox, seemingly always moving and never getting to where you want to be. They had been a people who for generations had moved a lot, really, physically. They never seemed, though, to be at the place that they wanted to be. There are people in expectation, but there are also a people in a predicament. They felt held back by the oppressive Roman authorities. They felt held back even by their own local authorities, Herod the Great, then Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, these were not nice rulers. They were murderous. They were out for their own gain instead of for the people. And the weary people come out to John at the river. And he tells them that even their lineage, even their heritage, being children of Abraham, is not going to get them where they want to be. Heaven must have appeared pretty well shut up to them on this day. And this predicament is not a new one. It has existed even at that time for thousands of years. It began when the first man and woman trusted their own knowledge and reason and understanding to get them where they wanted to go instead of relying on their Creator. And they quickly learned that having their eyes opened apart from God was not the epiphany that they had expected. Instead, it was quite deadly. And humanity has always tried to move forward, make progress without God. At one point, God scattered man over the face of the earth. Man began to make laws and rules and regulations thinking that this would get them where they wanted to go. But they found that they couldn't follow the laws, especially the laws that God made for them, the ones that he wrote in stone with his finger. Then they thought that having a strong human leader, a strong king, would get them where they wanted to go. But that too failed. The people were in a distressing predicament. Knowledge had failed them. Rules had failed them. Government had failed them. 
These people had a history of movement and change that had gotten them nowhere, gotten them nothing but captivity. The destination of heaven was closed. And this was not only their predicament, as you well know, it was one shared, it is one shared by the entire human race. And maybe we can really identify with these Israelites in, in our own troubled days. Maybe the weary frustration of the people on the banks of the Jordan River is not so unlike our own frustration. We've seen that human knowledge and human rules, human government, all fail to bring us the destination that we seek. We too are a people in a predicament, endlessly moving, but never getting anywhere. And the predicament itself is one thing, but a deeper and ongoing problem is that we are powerless to do anything about it. Worse, we stubbornly refuse to admit that we even have a problem. To admit that we cannot, by our own reason or strength, get ourselves to the destination. After all, we're moving forward, right? We're making progress, right? Just a little more and we'll be there, right? And in verse 15 of our text, the people look at John the Baptist and they start thinking, this prophet? Is this the Messiah? Maybe this is the one who is going to be an answer for us. Maybe this person is going to get us where we want to go. But John, in the very next verse, makes it clear that he himself is powerless. He's unworthy even to untie the sandals of the Savior. And this points to another problem, one that keeps us in our predicament, our failure to accept the fact that we really are powerless. So Zeno states the mathematical paradox by saying that we have endless motion without a destination because we're trying to cross the finite distance to our pew with the infinite divisibility of steps. We're trying to cross a finite distance with an infinite number of steps. And the problem facing the expectant crowd of the Jordan River is the same problem that faces all of humanity. The finite cannot overcome the infinite. The distance between us and heaven because of our sin is infinite. In John's Gospel, Jesus says this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, a broken, sinful human being is unable to create something outside of himself. A meal that you make in the kitchen is limited to the items you have on hand. Trying to create a human solution from the ingredients of human knowledge, human rules, human politics, human ability will always lead to disappointment. Always moving, but never getting anywhere. But there is good news. Everything changes in verse 21 of our text. 
when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. The heavens are opened. Our destination is in sight. Everything that broken humanity has hoped for and longed for since our banishment from the garden has been made accessible to us. For the first time since the fall, the destination is attainable. The Son of God, fully human, fully divine, enters the waters of baptism. And in this man, the finite and the infinite are miraculously and incomprehensibly made one. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus is now revealed as the Christ by the Father's own voice, revealed to be the only perfect, finite, infinite human, human being. And he alone is worthy of the infinite destination because he is the creator of that destination. Heaven is opened to Christ because it belongs to him. Jesus' baptism that we celebrate today, it makes the same progress for us. How does Jesus' baptism end our predicament? Well, it does so because in the waters of our baptism, our failed humanity is killed along with Christ on the cross. And in that same water, Christ provides the life-giving Holy Spirit who creates in us we who are finite, he creates in us a faith that grasps and receives the infinite, eternal life. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In the waters of our baptism, the infinite Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has, from outside of our reality, reached in and miraculously joined us to himself. Galatians 3 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You and I have been given what we in our own powerless state could not attain. In baptism, the power of God has brought the destination down to us who were powerless, giving us the assurance of heaven. Maybe you've watched sometime as a little child, maybe, maybe one that's not even walking yet, uh, has stood with both of their little feet on the big foot of their father, right, and grabbed onto his leg. Right? And then the father woodenly walks around the house with this child hanging on for dear life. And the child is squealing and laughing. And the child gets to do what the father is doing, gets to go where the father is going. And maybe that's some kind of an image of, of baptism, uh, maybe a poor one. Uh, especially since uh, the child is hanging on. And in baptism, God hangs on to you. 
makes you one with Christ. Even more confidence and surety is ours in our baptism. Jesus' baptism and ours provides for us real progress. We, confident, we confess boldly that we are powerless to solve the problems that led to our predicament. But in the waters of baptism, we have been joined to our crucified and risen Lord Jesus. Not just for a moment, not just for the finite, but for infinite eternity. Against all earthly appearances and despite even our continued and endless failures, we have joy in the assurance that our predicament has ended, that our problem has been solved, that in Jesus the means to arrive at our heavenly destination has already been provided. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.